The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to The Bike Goes On. This is Brian Casey, and I'm here with my friend, Sondra Bernstein. And we've got a special guest with us today. Sondra, you want to go ahead and introduce Kathleen to our listeners? Yes, I am so excited to have uh, Kathleen Hill, who is, um, you know, my good friend, as well as a Sonoma icon to The Bike Goes On. And um, we're hoping that she's going to be a regular guest as she has so much information to talk about, whether it is her incredible collection of culinary artifacts or her food politics. Um, It's just going to be an endless stream of conversation. (laughs) <laughs> wow what a setup i know whoa i can't yeah. wait i hope i make the cut you are you're gonna do it right now okay let's go so so um you know how where did tell us a little bit about how you came to here i know we don't have hours but oh. kind of an abbreviated well yeah i want to know where you grew up and and what your first memories of food were I grew up in Berkeley, California. I was born there. She was a hippie. Yeah. No, you know, Berkeley is sort of used to be divided town and gown, they called it. Oh, meaning were you people, gown? Gown was the university people, and town was the rest of the people. And my McKelligan family was the rest of the people. My grandfather started selling sandwiches on the train in Mexico. Oh, my goodness. And when he ran away from his parents' ranch in El Paso. And became vice president of the Southern Pacific, and Berkeley was a Southern Pacific suburb. That's incredible. So we spent every Friday at Spengers, now gone, uh, picking my grandfather up from the bar after he rode home on the key system train from San Francisco to Berkeley. Wow. But anyway, so uh, my parents moved to Lafayette when I was in the eighth grade, with the because the house had a seventy-five foot long swimming pool, and I was a kind of big deal competitive swimmer at the Ooh. time. And then it was discovered that I had had they thought I had rheumatic fever, but it was more polio, so I had to quit swimming. And um, I got bored, and I started to cook a little, and sold my bicycle to buy a horse. Oh, and that sort of thing. Yeah, and. Eventually sold the horse to buy a Volkswagen. (laughs) (laughs) And um, one of my great desires in uh, starting in the eighth grade, I think, and high school was to live in France and especially go to school there. So I started working at the Sathergate apparel shop to save money to go to school in France. And... Once I got there at the Sorbonne in Paris, I skipped class a lot and became the first person to talk my way in to being an auditor at the Cordon Bleu. Wow. Yeah, I was the first So auditor. you got to do the classes, you weren't getting credit for it, but you could take whatever you wanted? At the Cordon Bleu, yes. And I did eventually squeak through by three points with my little degree from the Sorbonne. It was a close call. Wow. Because I was much happier at the Cordon Bleu and at the Louvre, where I also took some <laughs> classes. And um, I guess the Sorbonne was just a vehicle to explore food and art. And France. And, and France. And, yes. And, and My heart like is you. beating. Yes, mine too. 
Yeah, so anyway, I did that and um, spent a lot of time testing food there. But also, I was taking French literature and politics at the Sorbonne. And my family at the dinner table always had dinner together and always talked politics. So I had this dual personality between politics and food, always. And eventually, Jerry and I were writing a bunch of books, and including uh, guidebooks to wine regions of the West Coast. And I decided to get a master's degree in political psychology, which I did at Sonoma State. What do you do with that degree? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's the food. <laughs> you wow. you advise campaigns and, okay. and, and analyze to death okay. and yell at the television a lot. <laughs> and and um, so uh, anyway, so I, I did that and I received the degree. No, I got my thesis, which was a political dictionary approved the day MFK Fisher died. Wow. I actually, I had spent most weekdays for seven years with MFK Fisher at her last house here in Sonoma, and, or Glen Ellen actually, and I left her, sorry to say, deathbed to go get my thesis uh, signed. And I got this weird, spooky feeling, a chill, which I'm getting right now telling you, that something had happened and something had lift flown off my shoulders and I wrote a note to one of the professors whom I had taken over to her house so he could read his poetry to MFK Fisher Wow! and I wrote him this note telling him what I was feeling and he said get out of here of course we're gonna sign it go over there I got to her house and she was technically gone her secretary Marsha Moran took me in and I held her hand, and there were three other people in the room, and they said they saw her change. Mm. Yeah, so she had always encouraged me to write about food and to be controversial. Oh, I love it. Where did you first meet her? How did, I mean, it just well, seems so random. For those people out there that don't yes. know MFK Fisher, can yes. you explain who that well, is? Well, MFK Fisher died at about, I think she was 83 in 1992, she was a well-known at the time writer in many magazines and lots of uh, books about food in France and uh, North Africa. And she um, made all these trips. And I know I interviewed her sister a lot, who was on all those trips to France and doesn't remember or didn't remember at the time a lot of what Mary Frances wrote about. And it was sort of a romance of food sort of literature. She was praised by everybody, sold lots of books, and um, you know her her fame has waned a bit now, as happens. And um, I actually drafted a, a biography of her with her permission. And uh, since then, her literary agent, who's now deceased, threatened me if I published it. Wow! Wow! Yes, I have the still have the letter, and. Um, from him. Anyway, uh, she was well, well known at the time uh, in many magazines and including Gourmet and another deceased magazine. <laughs> right. <laughs> or or uh, 
cookbook at least. Yeah. Anyway, so she was well known at the time throughout Europe and the United States. And so I eventually had a, a literary agent named Victoria Shoemaker, whom some of you might know, who was also a good friend of, of Mary Frances. And I went to her uh, once. Uh, Jerry and I went and had lunch with her at um, her house, I guess it was. And I said, what do I do? Would I be better off if I choose between food and travel writing or political writing? Having known at the time that it's hard for women especially um, to teach politics. Universities don't really enjoy women political science professors. <coughs> Thus, and, thus, so few women on TV. Right. And so I asked her if I'd be better off if I chose one field or the other. And her response was, no, don't. That's what makes you interesting, is the combination of the two. Well, I'm not sure that was the best response <laughs> for a <laughs> lifetime. <laughs> but I, it sounded good, so I followed it. And um, anyway, so... I've kind of got a mixture. I always have had mixed interests, polar, you know, the same interests in different directions and, and um, kind of pull it together. And that's sort of, um, when Jerry and I were first married, we had no money. And he still had alimony and those bills. Uh, and were you the second? Yes. Okay. And final. <laughs> that I know for sure. <laughs> and so we, we traveled very inexpensively through California's gold country uh, when everything wasn't all yupped up. And, and so I started. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't yupped up? Yeah, it was still <laughs> rough and tumble. Rough, okay. Rough and tumble, not all yeah. polished. Right, yeah. okay. Right. And um, sorry. You could write your own dictionary. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Jerry used to keep a list of words of I words. created. Yeah. Yes. I love it. <laughs> and uh, they just feel right. Right. Feel good. And so I, you know how you often buy gifts for other people that deep down you really want, but you don't realize it? Well, that's what I was doing. I was buying old kitchen utensils for my mother. And we'd get back and give them to her. And I never really found out if she liked them. I had a spending limit of $3 per. Yeah, uh -huh. And I, when she passed away in the 80s, I, of course, took them back. And then I looked at them and I thought, gee, these are kind of cool. So now I have about 4,000 pieces. Wait, where do you find all these gadgets? Do you go to uh, flea markets or... Garage in sales? several countries. Wow. <laughs> yes, I have some friends that uh, that just this weekend, whom I met in France, who came up from Southern California to go to a, a antique sale in Marin, and we went. They're coming back in February. We're going to go to the Alameda mm -hmm. in uh, the East Bay of California, of the Bay Area, and um, so I get them everywhere: flea markets, garage sales. Uh, the, but the the pieces I like are things nobody else wants, which is wonderful. <laughs> because if other people want them, the sellers have all looked on eBay. 
Oh, right. Right, to see how to much see what they can charge. Exactly. Yeah. And I won't do it, but I can name places and people who have done that and charge too much. Oh, let's name some places. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> but Kathleen, when, when people, your friends and family find out that you are collecting gadgets, don't they start to give you those as well? Do you ever get them as, you know, birthday oh, presents? Oh, you or, must or, get tons. I do. I do get some from my kids. Um and when Jerry was still alive, he got really good at finding things I didn't see mm-hmm. because, you know, four eyes are better than two, I guess, <laughs> in most anything, reading and writing and arithmetic. Anyway, um, I do. And I also have people who carry things around in their cars for months. Oh, I have a bag <laughs> at home that see? my friend Cindy gave me to give to Kathleen that I still haven't brought. Oh, One, how sweet. I, I know. I have to give it to you. I mean, for months I have this. But I'm like, oh, I'm positive Kathleen's already going to have it. And she's going to be like, oh, I have it. Or you're going to take it and pretend you don't have it. Well, <laughs> I, you know, another but I thing. No, but it. another thing that happens is that people's, say people's parents die and they clean out the house and they put the old kitchen stuff in a box and they don't want to take it to the consignment shop or the whatever shop. Um, because they feel guilty doing that. So they bring it to me. Well, they know it'll be cherished and even with the cracks on. in the bowls. Right. Yeah. Yeah, second life. So yeah. that's but yeah. things that are broken too. And yeah. I that happens a couple of times a week. And I'm you know <laughs> <laughs> Well you yeah. even had a show at the museum. I did indeed at the Sonoma Valley Museum of Art. Yeah. Um for three months and it was really wonderful that the then executive director, Kate Eilertson, saw the potential of my collection as art. Well, they're conversation and starters. Yeah. Oh, my word. And at that time, I had a very large menu collection that you... I gave to Kathleen for her collection. I mean, 80, 90. I mean, there's a lot of them. Yeah. Old. Old East Coast. Old East Coast. Yeah. You, oh, so you were, wherever and you would go, sa- you would collect a menu? Well, s- actually, I inherited them, funny enough, by the person that... So do you remember the long landscape photographs of Julia Child in the restaurant, in the restrooms? The class. Uh, I'm, I have a big the, smile on my face yes. because, yes, because one of them... Is the, one you. of the creepiest things I've ever seen in my life. It's this, those it's, long class yes. photos. Well, yeah, it's the yeah. kids, and some of them look like they're really mistreated, like, and some yeah. of them look scared out of their lives. But there's one. My favorite girl is this one that looks like she's absolutely insane. Yeah, that, hopefully <laughs> that, that was. wasn't Julia. <laughs> but the person, so I before we opened Glen Ellen, I had gotten those photographs for like three dollars at a estate sale. And then later the people came back in and they were like, oh, I said, I have to show you how I frame them, you know, da, da, da. And then the next week they came back and gave me this huge collection. The father had worked for the Fairmont in San Francisco years and years and years ago. So there were some city ones and they were his collection from traveling, including things that happened at the White House. And I was just like, they were sitting in my garage forever and... I'm like, who better, you know, should I give them to? Well, they're still very safe in what oh, we call I, the big room in my house, uh, which is my office. Right. And, and <laughs> that is a big room. There, I think there's even one from the Nixon White House. Yes, yes. Yes. I mean, it was incredible. 
and inspirational during the early days of having a restaurant, you know, to, to look at them. But you incorporated them into the show. As a mobile. As a mobile. It was so fun. Cool. It yeah. really was. And I it think it cool still uh, holds the attendance record for the museum. Oh, sure. because <clears throat> Because people of all generations brought all their other generations of their family back to tell right. them the stories of how they you know scrape their knuckles on a cheese grater or right had you know on the old flip toasters they, that they had to that was their job at sunday breakfast and well and that's my favorite thing that you have is the toastalator which looks like it looks like you took a waffle maker and <laughs> stood it on its side and You're then so right. and then put a tunnel through it <laughs> and and you put the toast on it and it goes on a little conveyor belt oh, fun. and even though you can see from either end through the tunnel it has little windows that you can watch as it's going like halfway through <laughs> and the windows are called spiolators Spiolators. oh my goodness not it by me by the manufacturer <laughs> and it was only made in 1948 probably because i mean it was fascinating but if you had a family, who would get to eat that piece of toast every half hour? Right. Well, you just oh have to goodness. keep feeding it through, right? <laughs> and, well, and we have to find a place for you to have a show, a permanent housing for yes, these items. I you. hope someone listening um, will go, wow, I have an extra, what, how many square feet? A thousand? Would oh, I don't know. Or, I could work with anything. Yeah, you know, yeah, 100 to 1,000 or whatever. I mean, you know. A culinary school, yes. a culinary museum. Um, it should be shared, and it it's a people's be. collection. Yeah. It's all been used, and it all still works. Yeah. That's the, that's the astonishing yeah. part. I, I mean, know I did a toaster uh, exhibit demonstration thing at Williams-Sonoma here in Sonoma, the redo of the original store, and the then-chef... And another helper were, I took 12 toasters down there to see if they would work. Oh. And the, the day before, and those two guys were afraid to be the ones to plug them in. <laughs> <laughs> I don't so, know why. Yeah, so, you know, because their outlets are much more sophisticated than mine or what there were when these were created. So I got to plug them in. And there were a few occasions of smoke <laughs> a little smoke's not a bad when you're smoke making toast. Right. Right. It might right. just be burning off dust off right. the coils, you know. So, um, uh, anyway, it was it was great fun, and the the toastolator and its spiolator definitely work. Yeah, and the old toasters are are great because they're so heavy. I as I got older the toasters got lighter and lighter and lighter. <laughs> and now, I mean, if you used to drop a toaster on your foot, you broke your foot. Now <laughs> right. they practically float. I mean, they're made That's out of really such cheap, yeah. cheap material. And well, Kathleen brought a toaster for us today that, now that, one is, that could like kill you. That'll last well, it does a thousand have a, a weapon end yeah. to it. And uh, yeah, it's, for sure. It's, um, it's cast iron from the 1790s in England. Wow, and it's, I um, it's it's a little metal rack where you stand a piece of bread up in it, and it's at the end of about a three foot long rod that's very sharp and pointy at the other end, and in the 1790s and early 1800s, ladies definitely in the downstairs. Yeah, part of a house big, in England in those big ovens would be on their knees hanging the piece of bread over the fire to toast it right for the family and um it was a gift from Kitty McKay 
who was a very Aww, interesting person. I love in Kitty. Yes. So she she gave me many of her special things. Yeah. The um like I'm visualizing like a s'more, like having the chocolate and the marshmallow and the graham crackers like all made in there. Standing up. And then standing up in there and then putting this in. <laughs> I don't want to burn the graham crackers, but We'll like, have to try it. Yeah, I mean, that would be really fun. It's going to get a little messy. <laughs> it's going to get messy. It's worth yeah, a try, though. It, it would be fun. And um, I'm excited because in the next issue of Fig Chronicles, um, last issue, Kathleen wrote a great article on cast iron pans and the history of those. And can, can I'm sorry. That interests me. Can, can we stop there for a second? Because I'm curious about taking care of can I ask you this? Yes. Taking care of cast iron pans. I love cast iron pans, but the thing with them is you're not really supposed to wash them with soap and water and a sponge and all that, right? You're supposed to just sort of, you know, wipe them out with a paper towel and then you put oil on them or something. Is that what you're supposed to you do? You know, this came up at Williams Sonoma and um, I said yes. And the chef disagreed with me and gave his whole far out three methods of cleaning. I went home and I regretted not having taken the Lodge cast iron brochure with me. Oh, because is that what it said in there? Definitely says that you can wash them with dish soap. Oh, interesting. You know, the soft liquidy stuff. Yeah. And just do it lightly with a sponge um, and then dry them soon. Don't let it sit and rust, but right. maybe with a paper towel and then oil a little. Okay. And um, there are debates about what oil is best, but whatever you have is best. When right. I always just worried right. about there being a little bit of food residue still in the pan, and that, but that's I good. but then I was told right that that's sort of the seasoning of right. <laughs> that goes into, uh, well, into your I, next dish. I also told the story of um, a year or two ago when my friend Chef Charlotte Haycroft, who's British but lives in France and is a very popular chef in southern France was here at Ramekin's teaching a class, and I ended up taking her and her husband around the wine country for 10 days. And she wanted to see Dean and DeLuca in uh, St. Helena. So we went in there, and I knew it all well, so I kind of walked around, and I saw this little tiny lodge cast iron pan, and I was laughing about it. And by the time she got up, up to check out her purchases, she had bought it for me. It Aww. was three ninety five. Three hundred and ninety five. No, three dollars and oh, ninety five. <laughs> Wait, when was this? Well, $3. two years ago. Wow. Well, uh, Tiny little little like for just one egg, right? Well, the trouble is I tried two. Okay. <laughs> and <laughs> turned into so, an omelet. <laughs> no, not even. So so um <clears throat> new cast iron is very inexpensive. It's the longest living lasting uh cooking pan you can buy it'll right. last forever but lodge is who's the surviving giant of the industry now pre-seasons them so-called and it's um it's really a new surface that is a, has a texture to it it's mm -hmm. not smooth and so i decided on the thursday before my talk at williams sonoma to try to bake eggs in it in the oven Lots of butter, two a eggs, <laughs> more butter. No Crisco? <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's what my mother used to fry chicken in. Mine too. Yeah. And, and um, 
so I watched and I watched and I watched and I finally took them out. I still cannot get the egg right. out of the, uh, those little grooves in the yeah. pre-seasoning. Yeah. I love cooking eggs, but that is one of the hardest thing to get off of the pans is something about the, yeah. the starch and the whites or something, something that just binds it to your pan. And I can't even imagine what that's like on a cast iron pan. Well, it, it, you don't do it. We all learn that world. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I want eggs seasoning my next dish after no. old eggs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, poaching eggs is always fun. And I, um, there's a store in San Francisco without doing a commercial for a store that has a lot of old kitchen stuff. And I went in one day and the owner wasn't there and her helper was, and I was missing an egg poaching size, meaning I had one two, four, maybe eight pans. So I went in and I asked if they had a three-hole <laughs> egg poacher. And the guy, knowing everything, said, oh, yeah, okay, back up two steps, turn left, go down to the end of the aisle, and it's on a little above your eye level on the left. Wow. Yeah. So must I got do, that. They must do inventory. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Yeah, so. Um, and a new one. A new one no. or an old, an old one? Yes, an I, old only, one. I only buy yeah. old. Yeah. yeah. You know what? And they all work. Yeah. You know, things were built to last. And lots of things were built to right. last. Not anymore. Now <laughs> we build things so they break or they get um, upgraded. So you have to buy all the new gadgets to work with it. Well, and you learn working in restaurants what things stand the test of time. So you buy, just like at home, I have pans that are used in the in restaurant because I know they're easily uh, washable and they're going to last right. forever. And same thing with my utensils. You just start to figure out what's going to last because I'm, I got tired of buying those cheap utensils and cheap right. pans. And I hate Teflon. I don't know why anyone cooks with Teflon yeah. on a pan. I don't know what that's all about. Uh, at the Sonoma Valley Museum of Art had a sale to raise money for the museum a couple of years ago, and there was a Teflon pan that um, Daryl Ponixen had painted with Ronald Reagan's portrait on it. <laughs> <laughs> the Teflon president. Funny and so there was an yeah. art piece? It was an art yeah. piece, and okay. I have it in my kitchen. Uh, oh, my God. That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. So then how did you then start writing for the paper? Here in Sonoma? Yeah. Well, I, um, ages ago, I had a roommate who was uh, assistant editor of San Francisco Magazine. And one day, the dining out, no, sorry, dining in editor didn't turn in his stuff for the month. And she came home and said, do you want to try it? And so I said, why not? I went down to meet the publisher the next morning, and he said, can you be over at the Kingston Trio's house at 10.30? Wait, the Kingston... Trio singers. The, the actual Kingston Trio's house? Yes. Did they live in Sonoma? <laughs> they lived in San Mill Francisco? Valley. Oh, she just Mill casually Valley. drops that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, paused for about half a second and said, sure. Were they cooking? Yes. Oh. Yes. And, and what this column was about was what supposedly what famous people cooked at home if they did interesting there <laughs> were fewer splendiferous brand new kitchens in the world then and people were actually cooking occasionally and um so i did that and i turned in the story and 
I, I didn't think about it much. I just talked to them and I wrote it. And I did that for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it turned out that the publisher didn't really want me to interview famous people. He wanted me to interview pretty ladies he met at parties <laughs> and offered <laughs> stories to. Wait a minute. So so he meets that's a the, pretty lady at, at a party. Yeah. Then mm -hmm. says, oh, I'd like you to, would you like to do an interview with yes, Kathleen and let's, Hill? Yes, and let's have dinner tomorrow night. And this right. is SF Magazine? Yes. Ooh. Previous owner. Yes, Now previous. deceased. Okay. Yes. yes. So how many times did you have to do that? Well, a couple of years of months. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, did, and did any of these articles see the light of day? Oh, my gosh, yes. Every they month. all did. Oh, yeah. They were so very then popular. these women got to feel good about the fact that they were in print? Yes, no matter what they gave for it. Right. Uh, wow. it, none of it went to me, believe me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or it was given that's, by that's me. That's for an X-rated <laughs> right. show. Yes. <laughs> uh -huh. um, and then so from San Francisco Magazine and then you got you moved to Sonoma or we did. And I, I was then managing and working on a lot of political campaigns, both national and state. And um, we were at dinner at the Depot Hotel restaurant here in Sonoma and um, <clears throat> with uh, uh, Jean and Dick Markson. And Jean was mayor of Sonoma at the time. Wow. And her husband had what I called the physical therapy concession at the hospital. And we were there for dinner with them and, and Dick did physical therapy for MFK Fisher with her newest newest hip and said, oh, there she is with David Plydell Bouvery. And I said, you know, um, I've worked in the White House and I really don't get impressed very easily, but I'd sure like to meet her. Oh, and so, so that's where you met at the Depot Hotel. They waved them over and we met there and I stood up because she was an older lady and um, we just looked each other in the eyes and she said, when are you coming to see me? And I said, whenever you invite me. And she said, well, tomorrow at six. And Perfect. I said, well, no, I have kids. I'm <laughs> cooking. I cook dinner. No, I met in the morning. And I said, no, I still have kids. <laughs> <laughs> How about 10? Anyway, so I went, and I guess she wasn't used to people saying no. Hmm. So we hit it off, because she liked that. Yeah. And I just couldn't do it any other way. So we spent many, most weekdays for seven years together, and I took a lot of Thanksgiving and Christmas leftovers up to her house, and we all, my family and hers, well. she had dinner. And um, <clears throat> Anyway, what was the question? Uh, well, w we were just curious how th then it went from San Francisco Magazine to oh, Sonoma. Yeah. So she's, she, uh, I had, I was, one of the things I did for her was read her her unpublished work three times because she had Parkinson's disease and could no longer, as her health declined, she, she went from not being able to type anymore to not really being able to dictate. And of course she had Marsha Moran is her full-time secretary and a caregiver. So I read her all this stuff, and each time I marked her uh, changes, and every time we went through it, those changes changed. Wow. Yeah. And um, anyway, she said, why don't we... She said, I like what you do, but, you know, you should get back to writing, and you can do it while your kids are at school. Think about that. Well, I thought about that. And then she said, why don't we 
do a story together. If you want to be a food writer, why don't we do a story together on Bouillabaisse for Gourmet Magazine? And being an arrogant <laughs> young mother, I said, I don't know that I want to be categorized as a food writer. I have a lot of other writing to do. <laughs> what a stupid thing to say or do at the time, you know. But I did. And um, she said, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> well. yeah, so. Um, well, and if you did the story, from what you're saying, you'd end up having to change it every time you presented the story to her that you were working on. Together. <laughs> right. yeah. So I probably would have she passed on it, too. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, I know. Right. Yeah. See, and it and and I I did work. I did did do some work. A lot of work with her on. We actually taped two books together. I mean, we we discussed and taped um, what we were going to write for two books. Mm -hmm. And um, we can talk about those another time. Yeah, that would be fun. Um, but uh, yeah, it all changed every right. every time. So and then and then. Probably now, 15 years ago, the woman who was hired to publish the Sonoma Valley Sun had been recruited from Chicago, where she oversaw, I think it was like 27 regional newspapers. Wow. Yeah. And she held a meeting at the Sonoma Community Center, inviting anyone who was interested in doing a radio show or writing something. And Jerry and I just went to listen and see what was going to happen. And this woman pulled us over to the woman hired as publisher and said, you have to have these two people write for you. And Jerry did history for them for five years, and I did food and travel. And, and um, then we got very upset with the management and, and quit Are after about sure? five years. And so the next day, the publisher of the index tribune and was that bill lynch, bill lynch and mm -hmm. david bowling mm -hmm. were mm -hmm. sitting at our kitchen table asking if we would come to the index tribune mm -hmm. so and jerry continued to write history for them and they still are pulling those stories up once in a while oh nice wow. <clears throat> and uh, well history doesn't change no if you do it right. right you can white paper it well at this point are you still writing about politics as well or are you just now writing about food or is there an intersection there somewhere? Well, there, there is an intersection, and that's the book I'm working on. Ooh, yeah, perfect. Yeah, and you heard it here first. And, and there isn't. Um, I'm not allowed at the newspaper to write about politics or anything beyond this valley. So, politics, just in general, you're not allowed to write about politics, even if it's not something that's controversial. Or is that? Is there anything a, that isn't? No, controversial? you've had a few. You've had a few. Yeah. Farm things or corporate. I mean, I've learned a lot from your columns. I mean, you add, um, I mean, certainly you covered the romaine lettuce thing. The romaine times. lettuce thing. I, I had to really talk fast to get permission to do that. And um, there are, uh, well, the farm bill coming up is one thing. <clears throat> it's been going under some change. The leadership in the House of Representatives now and this year is hoping to uh, get their changes in before the Democrats come in in the next year. So, yep. um, but one of the interesting things that affects California is the role of small farms and cannabis 
and what they call specialty farms. And to people representing districts in the Midwest or the East Coast, broccoli is a specialty crop. Right. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. So it's whether the last farm bill didn't include funding for specialty crops or for farmers. Who decides what's a specialty crop? That's the main question. Okay. <laughs> I Pe think we people. should get into that the next um, the next time that you're on with us. I think that would be really Yeah, well and I think some there's some interesting outs. attachments to the farm bill as well that would be that would be interesting to talk about so you get a little wider scope of what's going on, but I know they're working furiously to try and um, get some things added to the uh, farm bill. Um, but, well, but that's well, a see, national level, though. Up. That's on a national level. Yeah. So it's okay for you to write about something like that. But if it was something like that that was based, you know, that was about the Sonoma Chamber or the mayor in Sonoma or something, then you probably would stay away from that writing. Well, you could write it. It just might not get published. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it would be the cuttings on the floor. What did yeah. they say? Yeah. The uh, Now it's just as, yeah. you know, deleted. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Well, I yeah. know politics and food, when you talk about history, I mean, they're always intertwined. Well, uh, there's a very uh, well-known writer named Marion Nestle. It's yes, spelled like Nestle. She's fabulous. Mm -hmm. who, who really specializes in that. And she is fabulous. She was asked to serve at one time, I forget who, which president it was, but um, on the committee that made the food pyramid. Mm -hmm. And she tells, I've had her on my radio show two or three times, and she tells the story of how lobbyists for different food industries. Oh, the sugar industry was the And worst. the meat industry. Yeah. How, they, how much they were contributing to money-wise right. and other kinds of influence yeah. um, into how that pyramid turned out. And she resigned in protest. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I know even when you talk about, I know, I think next week we're going to have on the uh, owners of a chocolate company and chocolate is one of those things when you go back in history and talk about the politics. I mean, Mayans got addicted to chocolate, realized you could only grow the, the cocoa beans in the near the equator. So what do you do? Time to get up and invade. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's amazing that, I mean, food um, can force those decisions in people's lives. Food yeah. and fuel. Yeah. Food I and mean, fuel, you're right. There were food, food was there before money was there. Right. And then food turned into money. Yeah. And you know, when, when uh, uh, we white folks invaded the United States, I mean, the America, North America, the first pioneers, pilgrims, whatever you want to call them, kind of had it down. They'd have one farm would grow pigs and corn and beets or something, and the farm next door, they'd all collaborate. Mm -hmm. The farm next door would grow other things that was, were needed. And so the whole community exchanged, traded, barter. and mm -hmm. bartered, and fed each other. So yeah. how wonderful. Yeah. You know, it, I mean, well, and we have, a, we have a story here. Maybe I should save it. Wait, no, you can't. After you do that? Or okay. you can tease it and then... We'll I'll tease it about Petaluma Poultry Farms. Oh. Ooh, now I'm from Petaluma, so now you really got me perked up. Do I do it now? Sure. Okay, so we had some wonderful uh, people here, the Shanskys. Helen and Sam Shansky, who's... Um, this is in Sonoma Valley, who grew chickens. And um, they were among the Jewish chicken ranchers who came to Sonoma County from Russia and New York, all with the hope of buying their five-acre plot and 
having a business to sustain themselves. And they did the same thing. They bartered and traded. And some of them were communists. I, Jerry and I have been to some of their homes back when they were that in the last 40 years. Wow. And, yeah. And um, so I, I wrote about this in the Petaluma Argus Courier. It was used in a two-segment story thing. And so um, they, three of them, of the poultry farmers near Petaluma, tried to unionize their own employees to protect them. <clears throat> and there was actually also a fascist and Nazi club in Petaluma Whoa. at the time who didn't like that. And they chased these guys, they chased their employees, and finally they took these three poultry farmers up to Santa Rosa, stripped them, tarred and feathered them, and told them to walk home. And what year was this? 1939. Wow. Wow. And Sam Shansky, living in Sonoma Valley, what, 20 miles east of Petaluma, yeah. um, didn't like this. And he kept all records of everything that was going on. And uh, he decided to help these other chicken farmers by thinking, well, I go to San Francisco every week to take chickens in to people. Maybe those other guys could use a little help and I could go pick up their chickens and take them into the city since they're kind of suffering and hiding. Right. And um, he did that and his <laughs> it's now Petaluma Poultry Farms. Wow. Emanated from Shansky's farm here in Sonoma. <coughs> and so they... Um, it, Jerry and I also co-taught at Sonoma State, and I'm going to again. Um, one of the courses we taught, one, this one in Lifelong Learning, Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, uh, was on the politics and history of food and wine. And the widows of those Petaluma Jewish chicken ranchers mm. all came to our classes. Wow. And they sat in the front, all across the front row and I mean, it's just, I'm getting goosebumps again, chills. Mm. Um, they knew so much and they had so much to tell about their real life. And I'll tell you though, as, you, as many of us know, they were also into classical music and culture and everything as Jewish chicken ranchers. And mm. if there was an opera class going on at the same time as one of our classes, they had a really hard time choosing. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing I'm really excited about is that your memory is incredible. And I just tell am so excited about <laughs> all the stories we're going to get to talk about. Yeah. Well, well I love the idea of it. Yeah, yeah it's oh, and, incredible. And, yeah, talking about Petaluma, you can still drive through Petaluma and see all of the old chicken farm, the buildings uh, that have yeah. collapsed. and. There's something about if you clear it off of your land, then you all you have to pay more in taxes. So there's some incentive to keep all these old buildings. But if you ever drive through Petaluma uh, out in the country, you see Corona, these right on Corona, where you, to people if they're driving around, you, it goes east and west by the Wa School. Right. There's a beautiful 
excuse me, couple of them there, and I would love to have one of those buildings. Oh, and they're mm. for they're artist studios. Or oh, anything. taking pictures of them. I used to just stop and take pictures of the old um, um, chicken farms of the old collapsed buildings. They're beautiful. Yeah. Well, yeah. and a lot of those um, businesses, as such as they were, were kind of knocked over by the big corporate guys. Too. Sure. Yeah. Sure. But I, I remember Pe- uh, Petaluma Poultry. I mean, growing up, I grew up very close to Petaluma Poultry. They're right there on the Petaluma River off of Lakeville. Oh, and we used Kaiser. to, yeah. as kids, we used to take, well, they were the only thing there when I grew up. There was no roads that went right. out there. It was only to Petaluma Poultry because we would take our bikes and our BB guns and head out across the field to the Petaluma River, you know, shooting hunting. birds or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, hunting, you know, you're yeah. eight, nine, ten years old or whatever. But yeah, I've got great memories of Petaluma Poultry. They've been around since I was a kid. Petaluma Poultry and Royal Tallow. I don't know if you remember Royal Tallow and Petaluma, who made wax. I mean, candles wow. and basically, and you could smell when they were when they were um, from operating animal bones. From Cows. yeah, cow bones. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I, oh, Sandra, I'm excited too. I think Kathleen's going to have a unique perspective and uh, knows a lot more than we do about um, <laughs> some things a here lot in, of in Sonoma Valley. Things, yeah, right. And it'll be nice to have you as a, a periodic regular on the show and maybe sometimes with other guests of ours as well. And just to get your take on things, it'll be fun. I'd love to. And I have I've spent some time this week in the Oakland Chinatown with a couple of people I thought might be good guests, too. Yeah, which oh, I heard great. you guys talk about We'd that on the radio show. I'd also love to have Paula on. That I'll would see be if really that can fun, work. Yeah. two of you. and I would have to help her, yeah, guide no, her a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Would love that. Yeah. Would love that. Okay, we'll see yeah, if we she feels okay. Yeah, we can make it light okay. and easy. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Paula Wolfert we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, wonderful cookbook author. Well, yeah. Kathleen, when, uh, how do people read your um, column in the paper? They try to at sonomanews.com. And what does that mean? That means <laughs> it's hard to find. And uh, right now there's a paywall up that stops people who aren't subscribers. Oh, okay. Um, But it'll come down. So you uh, can go to sonomanews.com and uh, click on (coughs) top. You know, there's a little row of of things across Mm -hmm. the top of websites. And my name's actually up there. Okay. And also, if if you go down to the bottom right-hand side, my name's there too. And then you're (coughs) also on KSVY. I have the ksvy app on my phone and so you can just download that app and then you can pull up all the shows on ksvy and you don't have to listen live but you can listen live if you want but you can also pull up um um, past shows as well um and that's someplace people can find you too great yeah and maybe what is this about sonoma state you're talking about going back to oh well i was i was supposed to teach the politics and history of food and wine again this year Uh and uh i canceled it um, because I was doing so many other things. Okay. And now, uh, apparently, I'm going to teach a class in the next year uh, with the chair of the political science department on the upcoming elections. Wow. wow. Yeah. Okay, well, and can we have you in during that to maybe talk about some stuff? <laughs> sure. I don't know if it'll relate to food, well, though. Well, we can make I'll it. I'll <laughs> add something in there. I'll okay. bring food, and we can eat while we're talking. And, okay, and, we'll, and, and I can go, yum, ooh. <laughs> but, you know, but, you know, see... KSVY, when Bill Hammett owned it, was so, and it still is a little bit, so focused when I could only talk about food. And I had Congressman Mike Thompson on. Bill Hammett came in the room and scowled at me because he was a Democrat. Right. And so (laughs) I just said, Congressman, do you cook? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Turns out he does. Uh His mother was Italian, 
and he cooks all the time. And a year and a half ago at, I guess it was the Veterans or Memorial, whatever it is, service up at the Veterans Building. I don't mean to minimize my respect for veterans at all, but I forget which event it was. And he came up to me, Congressman Mike Thompson, and said, um, I want to talk to you about something. It's really important. And I thought he wanted me to organize getting out the vote or something in mm -hmm. Napa Valley, which I know quite well. And um, so finally, his assistant uh, chair, or whatever she's called, field rep mm -hmm. for here, this part of, of the district, I finally reached her and she said, okay, let's set it up this conversation and we made a date and then she called me and she said Kathleen we can't do this he had told me that he wanted me to rearrange his kitchen and add some kitchen utensils right. to it to the display and um his what his field rep thought he wanted to buy some from me or <laughs> have me give him some so then apparently he finally told his wife Jan who's a very nice woman who said what are you talking about? Nobody's fooling with my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the end of Mike Thompson and me in kitchens. <laughs> but we're still friends because he had his first fundraiser running for anything in our living room. Oh, very so interesting. So we get along great. Right? Well, and there's nothing person. better than um, breaking bread to bring people together <laughs> that have different opinions. Yes, so exactly. I think yes. your instincts were right. Get him in the kitchen and get him at the table. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, should we do like a disclosure, like this show is not meant to harm any animals, offend anyone's politics? Uh, what other disclosure should we say? Boy, I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I'll put you on that's, the spot. That covers I'm, it. Yeah. I'm sure it might be a longer list, but sure, right, we could start, we could start we'll with start that. We'll start there. That right. covers it for our now. intentions are out there. Right. Well, yeah. well, we're here to promote yeah. food and to promote um, um um, Sonoma people and people in the Bay Area that we find inspiring and 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 I don't mind lauding a congressman who likes to cook. There you go. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, it was so wonderful having you on. This is the first show of many that we're gonna uh, enjoy you. Yep. Thank you, Sandra and, and Brian. Have edible, delicious morsels of conversation. And I took a picture of the toaster um, that Kathleen was, just, was describing, not the toaster but the no. one that she brought that's, um, that's very old. And I'll, we'll post that uh, on our Instagram and Facebook feeds as well. So and maybe the, next time I'll bring the toaster Oh, my God. I will bring the bread. Or and okay. we can talk about how Wonder Bread and the electric toaster sort of combined to take over the world simultaneously. And I'll make a fire. <laughs> well, okay. Just, just for the another, toast. another. Well, the toaster later might make a fire. Oh, no, okay. no, it works. It's amazing. It okay. really is funny. Okay. Um, All right, we got to wrap it okay. up. All right. Okay, we'll have lots more to and talk about this next is, time. Uh, this has been Kathleen Hill, our special guest. Kathleen, thank you. And Sondra Bernstein and, and Brian Casey for The Bike Goes On. And we'll look forward to... Uh, um, talking to you next week. Thank you. Mm -hmm.